When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, but just because the UK was first to invade a tiny island with no effective military doesn't necessarily make it a good thing, Gavin. Yes. The following podcast contains... Oh, ah, what the f*** did you do that for? Hey! That was... Don't swear. What are we? Werewolves, not swearwolves. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you were going to beat the guy anyway, but you still had to do some crimes? What the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 401. It's morning again in America. Part two of the many lives and lies of Ronald Wilson Reagan. Stay tuned. What the hell were you thinking podcast is brought to you by the timeline where Jimmy Carter won. We want you to know where we are, things are fucking great. The timeline where Jimmy Carter won had all the boom benefits of the 80s and none of the downsides. AIDS? We cured that in 1991. Wars in the Persian Gulf? Yeah, those never happened. Global warming? Well, in the timeline where Jimmy Carter won, we met your 2030 climate goals in 2004. Sure, some things are still the same, like we had the dot-com crash in 2000, but we passed a whole bunch of laws reigning in Wall Street after that. So in 2008, we just elected Barack Obama but he wasn't the first black president. He was just the first black male president. And yeah, we had COVID, but since we never elected Reagan, our CDC was on top of things for the jump and we had a max 5% of the casualties you had because we have universal health care. All because we reelected Jimmy Carter. The timeline where Jimmy Carter won. Things aren't perfect, but they're a hell of a lot better than where you are. It's morning again in America. Today, more men and women will go to work than ever before in our country's history. With interest rates at about half the record highs of 1980, nearly 2,000 families today will buy new homes, more than at any time in the past four years. This afternoon, 6,500 young men and women will be married. And with inflation at less than half of what it was just four years ago, they can look forward with confidence to the future. It's morning again in America. And under the leadership of President Reagan, our country is prouder and stronger and better. Why would we ever want to return to where we were less than four short years ago? Things in the late 1970s were wild for my family. There's a lot of cocaine in this motherfucker. Please, no, my co- my folks would never be cool enough to do cocaine. I-, I meant economically. My dad finished college, but when he did, he couldn't find a teaching job anywhere. Oh? Uh, did you look behind the couch? So he wound up working as a laborer on construction sites. And, you know, I love my dad, but uh, not the burly construction worker type. He was the office manager on a construction site type. What is worse, we had to move all the time because he was constantly chasing new jobs just to keep the family fed. 
My parents were fighting a lot over money, and for a hot minute in the late 1970s, it kind of looked like they might be heading for a divorce. Everyone was doing it. I mean, everyone. But you know what? In a way, I I did get a new dad. Because everything changed for him when he hit rock bottom and decided to see if he could re-enlist in the army. Hey, first sergeant. Good morning. You can do it in the army. He went down to the recruiting office and the army guy was out. But the Air Force recruiter was there and he was shocked that my dad was thinking of enlisting. He lived like a peasant. Because, you know, he had a college degree and he could be an officer and a gentleman in the Air Force. And my dad liked the sound of that. Was that before or after the movies? Oh, definitely before the movie. Because, you know, if the idea of my dad being a construction worker was unlikely. My dad being Richard Gere is just frankly hilarious. I mean, I love my dad. He's a good enough looking dude, but definitely, definitely not Richard Gere level. So after a couple of weeks of paperwork, my old man was selected to go to officer training school for the United States Air Force. OTS was how the Air Force made officers without sending them to the academy. Yeah, they were second-class officers to be sure, but still better than us enlisted folks. The peasant! Oh, what a giveaway. Did you hear that? Did you hear that, eh? After three months of training, he was officially a second lieutenant, and my family instantly transitioned from barely scraping by to being comfortably middle class. This all transpired between the fall of 1980 and the spring of 1981, so by the time school started in the fall, everything in my life had changed. At the time, (laughs) I was pretty upset about it. But when Christmas came that year, I started to change my mind real fucking quick. There was nothing like a little bribery to bring one around to a new way of thinking. Which is exactly what happened in the United States. We got a better daddy who was handing out a shitload of shiny new toys from under the national Christmas tree. And that's kind of how I'm segueing into talking about Ronald Reagan as president. Uh, uh, He said it. He said it. I told you back in episode 348 how it was Jimmy Carter who took the bullet for doing what needed to be done to take care of inflation by giving political cover to the Fed to raise the interest rates to something like 20%. What what madness is this? Knocked the country into recession, caused even more unemployment, and, uh, you know, it turned out it was like those shock paddles they used to fix your heart on TV. Charging and... It got the economic heart beating, and slowly the patient, uh, the economy, began to recover. Unfortunately, it killed the presidency of Jimmy Carter. Well, that and a few other things, which I will discuss in just a minute. But for old Dutch Reagan, it set him up for a huge win. As we said last week, Reagan had been eyeing the White House run since 1968. Ran a primary challenge against Gerald Ford in 76. But come 1980, he's in it to win it. Though he'd been out of political office since 1975, Reagan had been working the GOP donors and power brokers behind the scene like a wannabe Hollywood starlet on a casting couch. Not unlike Nancy did before she married Dutch. Allegedly. By primary season, Reagan was the odds-on favorite before the voting even started. He routinely polled in the high 30s to mid 40s of possible candidates since 1978. When the primary field came together, his closest contender was George H.W. Bush. And by closest, I mean Poppy Bush was actually won a couple of states, six to be exact, compared to Reagan's 44, with a, for a total of 637 delegates compared to Ronnie's 1,222. Oh, and about 4 million more popular votes in the total. This was one of the reasons why Poppy was chosen to be Ronnie's VP. That and Ronnie knew fuck all about foreign affairs, but Bush was balls deep in the deep state because he'd been the head of the CIA. And at the time, Jimmy Carter, having troubles of his own, 
Jimmy had made a lot of friends in Congress when he came to Washington, and the entire story is told again in episode 348. But his biggest problem at the time of the election was the Iran hostage crisis, where the Iranian students had seized the U.S. Embassy and held the U.S. staff hostage for 444 days. The U.S. public was furious. They called Carter all sorts of things, but most of them were, uh, fucking pussy. Because he wouldn't nuke Tehran or something. When a rescue mission was attempted, everything went wrong and damn near needed rescue itself. And all of this called Ted, caused Ted Kennedy to do to Jimmy what Ronnie had done to Ford in 76. A nasty primary fight, which made an already weakened Carter look that much weaker. Heading into the general election that fall, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion that Carter was going to lose. This, of course, did not mean that Reagan would not pull a Nixon-X rat fuck against Carter just to be sure. You see, after months of negotiations to release the hostages in Tehran going nowhere, exactly 20 minutes after Reagan was sworn in, the hostages were on a plane out of Tehran headed to Algeria and then to West Germany. Some people found the timing of this to be somewhat, uh... Curious. It was consigned to the nascent conspiracist movement for a few years until uh, it was discovered that the U.S. was selling weapons to Iran in exchange for Iran getting hostages in Lebanon released. And people looked back at that and the thing with the Iranian hostages and they thought, Curiouser and curiouser. Numerous investigations, both private and in the form of investigative journalism and public in the form of congressional inquiries, came up short in the old evidence department. That was until the week before this podcast dropped when an aide to former Texas Governor Conley credibly claimed that he and the governor had a back-channel meeting with the Iranians to keep them from releasing the hostages before the election was over. The question remains open as to whether or not it was an official part of the Reagan campaign, but uh, we all know that it was. The Reagan campaign's 1980 message was elegant and simple. Everything sucks. And he knew how to make it not suck. His plan for doing so? Massive military spending, the elimination of government regulations, a 30% reduction in taxes, and <laughs> a balanced budget in three years. These days, we know that it is impossible to achieve a gigantic increase in government spending, unprecedented tax cuts, and not run up a massive budget deficit. But back in 1980, people listen to this and they're like, Sounds great. But Ronnie had a vision. He was going to make America great again. And it galvanized an untapped source of voters who up until then had largely set out politics. The religious right. Quoting from an article on Salon.com, quote, During the 1980 campaign, Ronald Reagan and the evangelical conservatives engaged in a very public courting ritual. Evangelicals had entertained possible GOP alternatives to Carter since at least 1979, but Reagan, long a darling to conservatives in general, was an especially compelling choice. By the time Moral Majority Executive Director Robert Billings signed on as a Reagan campaign advisor, the deal was pretty much sealed. The 1980 GOP convention gave journalists further reason to believe that the Moral Majority had muscles to flex. Convention delegates approved the GOP's mostly socially conservative platform ever, as the party strengthened its anti-abortion stance and reversed its historical support for the Equal Rights Amendment. On social issues, at least, the Pew trumped the country club. It's right down the line in an evangelical platform, gushed one Republican at the Detroit Convention. 
Reagan struck an explicitly religious note in his accepted speech, whereas Carter made no direct mention of God in his, merging established modes of civil religion with a newer rhetoric of anti-secularism. He said, I'll confess that I've been a little bit afraid to suggest what I'm going to suggest, but I'm more afraid not not to, declared the nominee. He then paused and said, Can we begin our crusade joined together with a moment of silent prayer? Unquote. I should point out, that Jimmy Carter was an actual evangelical Christian, born and raised and attending at one an evangelical church every Sunday. Reagan, for all his religious upbringing, was just acting like one. I'm not questioning his belief in God, but he never practiced an evangelical faith. More from Salon, quote, without explicitly saying so, Reagan spoke not of religion in general, but of a traditional, that is, conservative faith in need of protection. Such a move did not require the religiously amorphous Reagan to consistently identify as an evangelical, as the frontrunner Reagan ignored matters of labeling and reiterated his reliance on prayer, unquote. The religious right was useful to Reagan, though Reagan was less useful to the religious right than they'd hoped. They'd hoped to get Roe overturned, put prayer back in schools, and have gays put in concentration camps. Hashtag dream big. But they had to settle for smaller victories like ignoring the AIDS crisis and killing gays a little bit slower. When the voting was done, it was a landslide. Reagan carried 44 states and garnered roughly 8 million more popular votes than Carter, winning the Electoral College 489 to 49. The only election more embarrassing for Democrats came four years later when Reagan whipped Mondale like a high-priced dominatrix whips a Republican senator. You like that, don't you, bitch? Reagan took office on January of 1981 with a lot of political capital, but a Congress completely controlled by Democrats, which you might think would be a problem for him, but you'll be wrong, as we shall see, as we turn to what Reagan did to the country. And I want to warn you, what I'm about to tell you now is not pretty. If you have children at home while you're listening to this, first of all, why? Second of all, if you do, you might want to wear headphones because... I'm about to get explicit. It was called trickle-down economics. Oh, God, he's peeing on me. <gasps> which I'll admit sounds like a golden shower, which is probably why Reaganomics became the preferred nomenclature. Either way, someone was pissing in your face and telling you it was raining. Wikipedia describes Reaganomics as, quote, Four simple principles, lower marginal tax rates, less regulation, restrained government spending, non-inflationary monetary, non monetary policy, unquote. This, on the surface, sounds reasonable. But let me explain the real meaning behind it. Rich people got huge fucking tax breaks. Middle class people got some tax breaks. And poor people just got fucked. Starting in 1981, because of Reagan's new tax plan, the wealthy and corporations kept more of the money they made. We were told that they would spend that money on creating jobs for the rest of us. This is not what happened. Because what did happen was, surprise, surprise, rich people kept the fucking money and used it to buy mansions, yachts, private jets, islands where they could hunt and kill poor people for sport. You know, that kind of thing. Now, what did the middle class get out of Reaganomics? 
Credit card debt, credit card debt. <laughs> it was all kinds of debt, really. You see, the other part of Reagan's policies were massive reductions in the regulations the government put in place to keep corporations from fucking you with a splintered log dildo every chance they got. Regulations regarding the financial industry were lifted, allowing all kinds of predatory lending to take place. Banks could now make mortgages that rose and fell with interest rates and remove many of the blocks that kept Wall Street from doing any fucking thing they wanted to so long as the stock prices rose. And that was just the beginning of Reagan's plan for the federal government. All those annoying regulations that said corporations had to do things like not pollute or sell you poison food and medication. Well, those... Those were just, uh, just like, just gone. From a Rolling Stone article written in 1982, one year into Ronnie's brave new world, quote, since Reagan took office, the law enforcement actions taken by the Food and Drug Administration have dropped 65%. The FDA, once regarded as the toughest regulatory agency, has simply stopped policing faulty drugs, adulterated foods, and false laboring with its old vigor. During the Carter administration, the FDA averaged 530 enforcement actions every six months. In the first six months of 1982, by contrast, the FDA took only 178 actions against products whose safety and effectiveness the agency is supposed to guarantee. In the past, the FDA would take 260 products off the shelf in a six-month period. The first half of this year, it seized only 94, unquote. Nor was it just the FDA. The Environmental Protection Agency was gutted. So the regulations that did exist simply weren't enforced because no one was there to investigate violations. If you got hurt on the job, OSHA was decimated. Again from Rolling Stone, quote, OSHA cut safety inspection of workplaces by 25% this year. But the really drastic gutting has been on the enforcement and penalties. The issuance of willful citations, which carry fines of up to $10,000, is down 89%. While the total amount of penalties levied against employers is down 70%. In the last year of the Carter administration, OSHA averaged $2,049,000 in penalties every month. Under Reagan, the average was $612,000 a month in 1982, unquote. And the Justice Department just stopped investigating discrimination complaints. The Federal Trade Commission stopped pretty much everything. And the Department of Agriculture cut back on meat inspections and slaughterhouses. And this was the first fucking year. And there were seven more years of Reagan and four more years of Bush to come. In 1983, the Reagan White House commissioned a report on education in the United States. This sucking good. The commission released a report called A Nation at Risk, where it found, as quoted from the Washington Post, quote, some 23 million American adults are functionally illiterate by the simplest test of everyday reading, writing, and comprehension. About 13% of all 17-year-olds in the United States can be considered functionally illiterate. Functional illiteracy among minority youth may run as high as 40%. The report included a long list of recommendations to improve public schools, including the adoption of rigorous standards, state and local tests to measure achievement, stronger graduation standards, sufficient financial resources, and curriculum changes to give students a solid grounding in basic subjects, as well as art and computer science. The bumbling began immediately. Reagan startled the commission members by hailing their call for prayer in schools, school vouchers, and the abolition of the Department of Education. The commission hadn't said a word about any of these things. 
Indeed, the commission had been launched by the Secretary of Education, Terrell Bell, to fend off the president's 1980 campaign proposal to abolish the department. In its report, it laid out a strong argument in favor of a vigorous federal presence in education to support vulnerable students, aid higher education research, and protect civil rights. These suggestions were quickly relegated to the dustbin of history, unquote. The Reagan White House attacked teachers' unions, cut federal aid to schools, <laughs> tried to kill the Department of Education by slashing its funding, and the only thing it gave in return to teachers was blowing one of them up on the fucking space shuttle. Reagan gutted the unions. His fire to the air traffic controllers and crippling the National Labor Relations Board kicked off the slow declines of unions in the United States. When Reagan took office, one quarter of the workforce was unionized when he left, one-sixth of it was, and it just went downhill from there. Reagan's influence also spurred the increase of right-to-work laws in the states, which led to further dilutions of, dilutions of the union's influence. It's widely held that the damage done to unions by Reagan is one of the major reasons why the middle class is so fucked today. The poor were always fucked if you're keeping score. Mostly because Reagan gutted the welfare system and launched a systemic attack on the very idea of the social safety net. He tried real hard to cut social security, but that was a bridge too far, even for him and his most ardent supporters. And then there's the military. And after Vietnam, our national appetite for spending all of our treasure on massive military investments was at an all-time low. You can imagine why. The 70s were tough on the military-industrial complex. Congress slashed military budgets and no one wanted to be in the military. This made the Pentagon... How sad. How very sad. But Uncle Ronnie was here to wipe those tears away because Uncle Ronnie had this crazy idea. If we couldn't beat the Russians on the battlefield, since, you know, we weren't actually fighting them on any battlefield, we could beat them with a credit card. We would spend so much money the Soviets couldn't possibly compete and we would bankrupt them. This is essentially what did happen. But since Ronnie had slashed taxes, remember those huge tax cuts that I mentioned? Even with his draconian cuts to social spending, the money we needed to buy all those ships and bombers and missiles and space lasers had to come from somewhere. And where did it come from? It was borrowed from the future. You know, by running up the deficit in a way not seen since World War II when we were actually fighting a fucking war. Which in the 1980s, we were not, unless you count invading Grenada, which I don't, because it was fucking silly. This is how the Washington Post put it in a 2004 article about Reagan's buildup. Quote, Military officials in both the United States and the Soviet Union were bluffing about one another's capabilities to help fuel a push for more weapons said Pierre Spray, a Pentagon consultant in the 70s and 80s. What we had was two huge defense apparatuses busily propagandizing their governments to spend the absolute maximum amount of money, said Spray, who was a prominent group of reformers inside and outside the Pentagon who argued against increasing military spending. It wasn't a buildup, it was just a spend-up, Spray said. Reagan gave money to defense contractors for weapons while funds for troops, maintenance, and training languished. For example, not only did Reagan approve construction of the costly B-2 bomber, Spray said, he also resurrected the B-1 bomber, a problem-plague program that the Air Force didn't want and the Carter administration had canceled, unquote. In short, it pumped money into the pockets of defense contractors who in turn pop money, pump money into the pockets of Reagan and GOP election coffers, forming the human centipede of corruption and graft that continues to this very day. 
And look, I haven't even touched on the egregious social policies like the war on drugs, the slow-moving genocide of the Reagan AIDS policy, or how Reagan fought against sanctions and divestiture in South Africa because he was down with apartheid, or how the Reagan administration was way more corrupt than even fucking Richard Nixon. I mean, Iran-Contra was straight up an impeachable offense, and Reagan got the fuck away from it, with it. His entire administration was full of corrupt motherfuckers. 138. Eight administration officials were either arrested, indicted, or investigated for criminal acts during his eight years in office. The most in history, even using, even compared to the Trump administration. Though with the Trump administration, that's probably because the corruption of the Trump administration was so pervasive, it kept the investigations from happening at all. And I could go on for another 20 or 30 minutes on all the horrible shit Reagan did that fundamentally fucked up this country in ways that we are still dealing with today. But in spite all of those things. Hey, everybody else likes him. I like him too. Everybody loves him. And nothing could stick to him. And you're probably wondering. Why is that? Yeah, why is that? The simple reason is his policies, they kind of worked. The first two years of administration were rough. I mean, John Hinckley Jr. shot his ass. And ain't better this time. That didn't have anything to do with his policies, but surviving John Hinckley Jr. shooting his ass Got him a lot of goodwill from the American public that he was able to parlay into patience on their part for his promised reforms to work. And they did in the short run because you see, after inflation finally fell because of the interest rate hikes and the corporations began to benefit from being left to run fuck wild through the economy and Wall Street being told, if it feels good, do it. If it feels bad, do it again. There was a lot more money running around out there. It seemed like it was trickling down. And at first people were like, fuck yeah, it's trickling down. Reaganomics works. And since the economy is basically chaos magic, when they all, when the American people felt like they were doing better, they did do better. By 84, unemployment was down, inflation was gone, Wall Street was booming, and everyone was feeling fucking great. Especially if they were doing cocaine, which everyone was except for my parents. The mid-1980s economic boom felt so good. The entire country was buying Walkman on credit cards and the only thing bigger than our hair was our self-confidence. The good times were never gonna end and man, the man we had to think of that was Ronald Wilson Reagan. It was morning again in America and God damn it, it's gonna be a great fucking day for about five years. And then the bills started to come due. The country and the citizens realized that you really can't put a military expansion or massive cocaine purchase on a credit card because eventually you're going to have to pay that off. But you know what? Ronnie didn't care. He was out of office and because he had fucking Alzheimer's, he didn't even remember he'd done it. I'm not saying that Reagan wasn't an evil fuck. I'm just saying that there's questions about who was really behind the thinking, such as it was, that went into the Reagan administration, and that would be a whole other two-part podcast set. But if you just want to sum down, they were all in office during the George W. Bush administration. The reason I spent so much time talking about the economic side of the Reagan presidency, a subject I don't understand, other than to know that it didn't fucking work, is because Reaganomics are still being touted today. It was the one thing that stuck in the tiny fucking minds of the GOP is that we should keep doing what Reagan did, only, uh... Only more so. And it's more than just the GOP. 
The Reagan revolution convinced Democrats that the way they could win was to be more RWR than FDR. So that's how we got Bill Clinton, who, when he wasn't busy chasing pussy, gave us welfare reform, which made it damn near impossible for people to get the help they need. Government regulations are still the boogeyman of Washington, D.C., and that's why in 2008, the entire world economy shit the bed and had to be bailed out at taxpayer expense, and why in 2023, the banks are still fucking around and finding out new ways to get their fuck up paid for by Uncle Sugar. But hey, you still personally have to pay for those student loan debts, which is another thing you can thank Ronald Reagan for, because guess when college prices started their climb to the peak of insanity? I think you know the answer. So many other things. Like, I, I can't directly blame September 11th on Reagan, but I'm sure his fucking grubby dick beaters are on there somehow. I mean, Cheney and Rumsfeld right there. I, I, I don't know. There, I managed to blame fucking September 11th on Reagan. It took 15 to 20 years, but the evidence became abundantly clear that everything that is wrong in America today started on a Ronald fucking Reagan, including the polarization that's nudging us ever so slightly and ever so steadily towards a second civil war because Ronnie went and killed off any kind of government oversight on what all these Christian fascist motherfuckers were saying on the radio or their preaching genocide 24-7, leading directly to their inbred fucking kids preaching genocide on Twitter 24-7. You want something a little bit less important but more personal? The reason Ticketmaster can drive fuck you for your trailer Swift tickets is because Reagan gutted antitrust regulations. If it is broke in America, Reagan broke it, and because he gets teeny, teeny GOP dick slightly less limp, no one fixed anything, and Democrats have forgotten what it is like to actually do their fucking job and help people because Ronnie was so goddamn popular, and they wanted to be popular, so they were more like fucking Reagan. So yeah, it's morning again in America, but in our case, it's three o'clock in the morning. We've been awake all goddamn night worried to, <laughs> because we didn't have enough money to make the rent this fucking month. That is what the Gipper gave you. That is it for our show this week and wrapping up our two-parter on old fucking Dutch Reagan. I could have done a whole other episode on the social policies that Reagan inflicted on us. The AIDS crisis alone is a good two-parter. I didn't, so you should look for that in the future because content, baby. Content. Ow! We got some goofy shit coming up for the next couple of weeks. We're going to put out some heavy stuff, so it's time to take it down a notch. So got that going for you you should look forward to that thanks again to everyone who helped out for 400 and everyone who donates to my patreon patreon.com slash what the hell podcast if you can't kick us a buck or just don't want to leave us a review somewhere you can even write it on a bathroom stall it helps others find the show and realize they should avoid anything they find in a bathroom stall is that a glory hole do all the things Jeremy tells you to do in the closing credits. Otherwise, he will be forced to deregulate our podcast feed. And then before you know it, it will be polluted by old feeds of a Battlestar Galactica podcast I did in 2004. So for me, Dave, money's too tight to mention. I can't get an unemployment extension. Bledsoe, producer. We talk about Reaganomics, oh lord, down in the Congress, they're passing all kinds of bills. Gavin, and all the fictional Reagan Democrats on this show, we want to say, we're talking about the dollar bill and that old man that's over the hill. Now, what are we all to do when money 
got a hold on you. And we'll see you all next week. What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. Shows produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Except for the gong show.